Hey everybody, uh, we've slapped together a Concast for you today, and I mean that quite literally, because uh, we are dragging people into it, um, well, right up until this second. <laughs> today we're going to start off with uh, me, Laz, and returning for the first time in quite a while, Mr. Jav. Yay! Yay. Hi, Jav. It's awesome to hear from Jav. I've missed Jav. You say that until I'll start talking, and then you're going to wish I go back into the void. Yeah, I'll, I'll edit that back out later, when it proves false. <laughs> but uh, without uh, screwing around too much today, uh, why don't we go ahead and jump right into uh, what we've been playing. And Jav, I'll let you go first as the prodigal son for the Concast today. Uh, a whole lot of Dark Souls 2, and uh, as of yesterday, the Diablo 2, exp- uh, 2 Diablo 3 expansion. So, cool. yeah, Yeah. Dark Souls is hard as hell, and Diablo (laughs) is addictive as it ever was, so... Have you you tried the adventure mode thing in the new Diablo 3? I have, and... Everyone loves it. Adventure mode? Come and grab your friends? Basically, it's just, hey, before, you had to do story things to grind. Now, you could just grind. Here! (laughs) Yeah, they're basically special stages that, like, lead you straight to, uh, unique enemies that have good drops instead of having to, you know, replay a story boss battle. Is, as far as I know. And it's, like, faster and easier than the usual story VS, and it sounds like everything I always wanted in Diablo 2. Yeah, basically. I'd be running, you used to have to run the same uniques over and over, and it was awful. Yeah, they basically just made it so that you don't have to do that, but still get all the cool gear that would normally take hours and hours of running Mephisto. But now you don't have to do that. You can just run through cool, unique little dungeon things and get cool gear. I I appreciate that Jav was able to uh, immediately inject some diversity into the What You're Playing segment. That was awesome. Yay! None other of our regulars would have come up with uh, the Diablo 3 expansion pack or Dark Souls. Well, I've played Diablo 3 and I liked it okay. And this expansion pack, like, from what I've heard, it adds things that I would really enjoy, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. I would say as far away from Dark Souls 2 as you possibly could, unless you hate yourself. <laughs> I, That's I, most I've played of our some Demon audience. Souls. I've played some Demon Souls, and I like, and I sort of like it, but it is brutally hard, and I, I don't need that kind of stress in my life, man. Yeah, cool. that's exactly it. But also, a lot of people love those Souls games. All right, so, then, uh, Laz, how about you? Um, I'm playing a weirdo PS2 RPG called uh, Digital Devil Saga. That's basically if you combined, like, I don't know, you combine Shin Megami Tensei with Mad Max and the Ramayana. So, yeah, that's that strange. sounds incredible. Yeah, it's it's super weird. It's like there's a there's like six gangs of people called tribes that are all trying to murder each other, and all they they don't really know what's going on on the world with, around them, except that they're supposed to fight each other, and the remaining tribe gets to go to quote unquote Nirvana, and yeah, the, eventually like they you turn into demons and start eating other tribesmen. So it's super weird. Everything Sounds exactly is exactly like American Idol, right? Yeah, like everything is a big post-apocalyptic punk mess with transforming demons, and it hits you over the head with uh, Hindu and Buddhist symbolism a lot. But yeah, 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 it's yeah. Digital Devil Saga is good, but it's really weird, and I am learning more, uh, you know, Hindu folklore than I ever had before. So that's something. Yeah, that is very something. <laughs> that's a strange thing to walk away from a game from. Like, well, I don't know how I feel about the game itself, but I'm a Buddhist now. <laughs> Actually, you I'm know, that's sure almost my Hindu. feelings. 
almost. <laughs> it's it, uh, it, it it's so weird, but uh, the um the class system in the dungeons are fun. The combat's really similar to Nocturne or Persona Three, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it. And I want to see where this weird weird plot goes. Sure. So yeah, Josh, what are you <laughs> playing now? <laughs> um. I am uh, still on uh, Final Fantasy XIII 2. Um, I got a little log jammed the other day because uh, one of the side quests about halfway through the game requires you to locate an invisible quiz master uh, five times before you can answer all of his quiz questions and uh, get all the rewards from it. And it was extremely frustrating, and I finally had to consult a YouTube video to try to figure out where all of his locations were. So... Yeah. That sounds eerily like Final Fantasy Nine. Um, I don't know if it was quite as frustrating as that, but uh, yeah, I, it it certainly took a while, and I had to ride a chocobo around a lot in this uh, one particular area to do it. Um, but for my birthday, which was last weekend, um, my wife and daughter got me Super Paper Mario, 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 Marocrat, uh, Mario Super Paper Crat. Mario for um, the Wii, and. Uh, as soon as my daughter saw the package, she said, Mario! And then she saw Peach and said, oh, Princess! So, uh, we've spent quite a bit of time playing that so far. Just because Have you got, has Princess joined the team yet? Um, no, uh, we've only played, uh, uh, I'm only to chapter 1, 2, or 1, 3 so far. We only played for a couple hours on Sunday, but, uh, that is also, um, that is in my other console at the moment. Yeah, that's, that's what I've got going on. Cool. Oh, well, yeah. you're, Kalen will be super excited because in Super Paper Mario, you eventually get to have Control Princess as a party member, basically. So you'll be able to run around and change perspectives and all that business as Peach. Yeah, so, that's uh, that's why... Good for you. Well, that's why I'm eventually also going to have to get um, new Super Mario or 3D World or whatever the Wii Oh, yeah. One oh, is. God. Cat yeah. Peach? Yeah. She'll go exactly. crazy. Oh, yeah. She, she's seen Cat Peach and has flipped. So, yeah. That, that'll be coming sooner or later. Um but yeah, let's uh, jump right into the topic here. Um, you know, I do still hold out hope that uh, our good friend DP may be joining us late as usual. Um, that hope is slowly fading, or quickly fading. So anyway, uh, what we want to talk about today... Well, actually, uh, Laz, why don't I kick it over to you to talk about what we're going to talk about today, because you came to us with this topic, and it sounded like a good one. Well, sure. Uh, so we were brainstorming uh, via Google Docs and emails uh, what to talk about for this new concast, and I had the suggestion that we talk about Final Fantasy main characters because when I was I was thinking about you know Final Fantasy common threads that we could talk about, and I sort of I guess I just sort of noticed that um, each Final Fantasy game has a different approach to plot and character, and that's well pretty common knowledge. But they're, they don't really have much in common with one another. Like, if you, just going from Final Fantasy IV to Final Fantasy VII, you have a sort of a flawed hero that tries to redeem himself, a spiky-haired teenager that's kind of an everyman, a, uh, a game that sort of lacks a main character to a degree, or at least switches them halfway through, and a game of a sort of spiky-haired teenage anti-hero that's, that has a mysterious past. And th- those are, Four main characters that are completely different from one another. When that's when you, and if you compare it to other Japanese RPG series like Dragon Quest, always has a silent male protagonist, and uh, Tales games usually have a spiky-haired teenager. That's for Final Fantasy. It's uh, not very consistent, and 
So I'm I'm thinking we all have different uh favorite Final Fantasy games. Is do like the different approaches to major characters uh affect our preferences or like what what kind of Final Fantasy characters do we want to see going forward? That kind of that kind of open-ended discussion. So mm. yeah, I I, I yeah. think you uh you know you kind of raise a good point about the uh, kind of categorization of sure. protagonists, not just in Final Fantasy games, but, you know, there there's superhero or just general hero tropes in all kinds of gaming genres, but you, you kind of have, you know, the flawed anti-hero type. Um, you have the faceless type, which, um, you know, appears a little bit more in the Dragon Quest games, I think, than Final Fantasy, but, you know... More so in Dragon Quest. Yeah, a, a couple of the very early Final Fantasies had that going on. And, you know, every once in a while you get the... Um, you know, either, well, I guess you get the woman subtype, <laughs> which, which, uh, is terrible that you can categorize them only as woman. But, uh, yeah. I feel bad about that now. Um, uh, and I think, you know, I don't know that there's really a clear winner in those. There, there's been good ones and bad ones in all of those, except for maybe the faceless, cause, you know, they have no personality to go from. I led that right down into a dead end alley. That was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Nice job. <laughs> I think, like, if you look at just in terms of like the whole woman subcategory, I'm not gonna let you drop that one. <laughs> um, are there really like enough in Final Fantasy to give them their own bracket? Because I think outside of like six, six and most, thirteen. Well, six, the entire thirteen series. Um, you can throw ten two in there. Do we, um, want to? Do we really want to bring up ten two though? <laughs> well, I mean, Does that we, really count. We throw in the thirteen trilogy, and that's every bit as polarizing as ten two. Just regular old thirteen's fine. <laughs> yeah. like, this means, look, I, I just really want to exclude ten two. Okay, no, fair enough. Yeah, I, I'm on that train. I, I do not think it. But yeah, it's. I'm, I I feel uh, this is not something I like. To, I don't like sort of. Attributing categories and tropes to things, I guess, I, I feel bad for having introduced us to that, but I, I mean, I think that the female main characters in Final Fantasy games have been really different from their male main characters. It's, I, cause I mean, Terra lacks direction and confidence, and it, like the entire game she's trying to sort of find her purpose. And, uh, but Lightning from, I haven't played much of 13, but she seems like a, a confident woman and kind of a badass and that's those are two different types of females and yeah and if anything i would actually say that they overplay that hand a little bit in <laughs> okay. 13 uh yeah just say they they make her a little bit too badass which makes it a little harder for her to bounce into you know a more rounded character but um I, at least you know for the purposes of the discussion you're exactly right the, those characters are very different and you do have a little bit less difference i think um among the male characters you know you've got uh you know let's take cloud for an example he is you know for very very explainable reasons is very detached uh for a good portion of his adventure as is squall and then you have um you know some protagonists that are probably um a bit further on the touchy-feely side of that spectrum where you have, um, you know, maybe uh, Zidane as one who, you know, even in, he's introduced as a thief 
from the very get-go obviously has the heart of gold. And um, then you get a little bit of that from uh, Titus or Titus or however you wish to pronounce his name. I forget how they actually pronounce it. Um, who also has that, you know, he's kind of a goofball on the surface, but again, with that heart of gold thing. Sure. Um, I always thought of Zane as sort of a puckish rogue who becomes a little bit more heroic towards like towards the end of the game. Early on, he's like playing, you know, he's uh like flirting with uh, dagger in a pro- in totally inappropriate ways, <laughs> and uh, and other things. And he and after he sort of you know hits uh, a certain plot point, he comes around in a major way. But yeah, Squall and Cloud are kind of they're both aloof jerks at the beginning, but then they're I mean, am I wrong in thinking that Squall sort of stays an aloof jerk and Cloud, after he figures himself out, changes in a, different, in a major way? Am I, I on that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'd like to think that uh, Squall actually comes out of that a little bit too, especially in the epilogue of the game, um, but I may be just giving way too much credit to the writing of that game. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that that was really the intent, but you know, there does seem to be some level of implication of it. For my money. Sure. I, I mean, I got the idea that the designers of the Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9 were trying to make Cloud and Squall sort of these cool characters. You know, they have, they have big swords. They, they start out as sort of lone wolf characters that eventually come around to uh, the big greater phallic story. swords, I think, that yeah. you might like to call them. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of them is a, one of them's <laughs> bigger than he is, and the other one, like, shoots out fire when you pull the trigger. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But uh yeah, and but by contrast Zane is not so not so much like a cool lone wolf type as much as a like a fun loving rogue type that uh you know plays grab ass with the cute girl party member. So yeah, but it's, that's part of his charm. I mean, yeah, oh, I'm not saying it isn't, but <laughs> it's I think that thing that separates him from the Cloud and Swall character type. Yeah, and I think Zidane really does have that heart of gold, which I think I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, and he does start off as, as you so eloquently put it, the, uh, fun loving grab ass sort. But I, I think that element is always there inside him. And I think that one of the things that makes that game so great, um, you know, apropos to this conversation, what makes that protagonist so great is the way that they pull that out of him over time. And he genuinely does become this kind of paladin-like character throughout the story. But he also retains that kind of playfulness, even when things kind of get dark towards the end. They they remind him of it, which is cool. But I think I mentioned it before. But yeah, it's what makes him more of the human characters for that era. It's what makes it seem like he is more well-rounded than, for example, Squall, who is just whatever. That's his dialogue from, like, beginning to end of the game, even despite his transformation. And it is kind of ironic uh, how human Zidane ends up being, given that he has a tail. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know. And that probably went without saying. But, uh, it's the Goku complex. Uh, that kind of, uh, you know, my own words kind of made me think in referring to Zidane as sort of a paladin type. I, we actually do have, within the canon, an actual paladin type. And... Uh, you know, Final Fantasy IV is this game in which the protagonist not only transforms over the course of the story, he has a dramatic 180 degree turn that occurs, you know, with the snap of a finger. Um, yeah. 
in, in terms of the length of the overall plot anyway. Uh, there's obviously a process that begins essentially immediately with Cecil, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the big transition happens in the blink of an eye. And that is, again, you know, a very different kind of protagonist, um, because this is one that, you know, is really thrust into it. And I've completely lost where I was going with that, so somebody else is going to have to pick it up. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, I, I think part of the, it, it's sort of, very, very obvious the character transformation in Final Fantasy IV because Cecil literally transforms. But it's, I mean, it's more of an evolution. It's not quite 180 with the snap of fingers, like like you alluded to a minute ago. But it's, I mean, at the very beginning, the uh, the central point to char- Cecil's character is that he works for the bad guy but has doubts, and uh, eventually, like when he decides he wants to be reborn, it's sort of the removal of all doubt. And he's decided to just go all in with this, uh, with this saving the world and redeeming himself thing. And, uh, and, and part of, and I guess going into secondary characters a little bit, Kane is less willing to give it all up like that. He's not, um, Kane still holds on to his inner darkness, which leads to a couple complications in FF4 and, a central part to FF4 The After Years, which I would rather not talk about because <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of that game. But, uh, so, yeah, uh, Cecil is unusual in, in a Final Fantasy character in that not only does he, like, literally change the kind of person he is, but he's not a teenager, isn't he? Isn't he, like, 20 or something? Well, I mean, he's a young adult in the same way that, you know, every protagonist in the series has been, which, uh, and that may brook some discussion in and of itself, given that, you know, they script these characters to be what we would consider fairly ridiculously young. Well, yeah, for the kinds I, I think, of like, I think all do. of them are technically teenagers, except for uh, Cecil, at least all the main characters. Yeah, that's probably accurate. I really can't be bothered to verify, uh, but uh, I, <laughs> that sounds right. So, yeah, it's, it's weird. He's, I mean, Cecil's not a spiky-haired teenager, which is, I, uh, you know, which is, like, the... Uh, sort of sarcastic tone RPG main character joke. But, uh, he, you know, he has, he goes up, he undergoes a transformation and he's not really a lone wolf or an everyman or a puckish rogue. <laughs> he's certainly not that. <laughs> Speaking of like everyman characters, is, is there really much to Bart's character at all? Cause he, I mean, by the end of the game, you just sort of think of him, oh, he's the guy that's in that, I, that is sort of, he's the guy in the party, <laughs> that's about it. Yeah, I, he's kind of an interesting case, because, um, when you start off, he really does seem to have a lot in common with that, uh, blank character trope that, uh, we talked about a few minutes ago. You know, he doesn't have much going on in and of himself, and he's reacting to everything around him rather than acting upon it. And that, you know, that does change a little bit as the plot expresses itself. And, um, you know, along the way, you do figure out a little bit about why he's special. But even then, it's kind of, Bart's is kind of a bystander to all this. He's involved, he's being heroic when it's, you know, coming his way, but 
even as an adventurer, which is how he refers to himself, you don't really get much sense that he's had that many adventures until all of this starts <laughs> happening to him. Yeah, it's it's cool with him because you know most other characters are central to the plot. They are the important part of the story or the driving force behind the story or the antagonist is directly related to them in some way right. or yeah. pushing the conflict. But with him, that's not the case. He's just this character that's kind of like Joss says, reacting. Yes, he's loosely affiliated with some of the things that are going on in the story, like who his father is and how he gets involved with Lena and Gallup and whatever. But at the end of it, he is just this guy. And yeah, it's, he loses some of that kind of coolness that some of the other protagonists have. But at the same time, it like it works well within the story, which is this cool thing that I think reflects in a lot of the Final Fantasies. The protagonists are always very similar to the world that they inhabit. Like in the darker games, like uh, seven and eight, the characters are these darker, grimier, self-interested characters. In like nine, where everything's wondrous and crazy and fantastical and kind of childish, the characters are the same way. Mm-hmm. It's so like in five where everything is kind of just yes, there's this adventure going on, but everything is kind of ignorant of everything. Like the cities are separated, and they're only really concerned with their crystals and themselves and their well-being, and nobody's kind of pushing out any kind of real dialogue. There's him that's just trying to do the same until he gets dragged into the story. Yeah, that is sort of weird. I didn't think of that originally. Like Bart's involvement is sort of a coincidence and uh and i mean or at the very least he's forced to believe that it's a coincidence right for a good portion of the story and you know obviously something i'm trying to think of i'm trying to think of his of of his father's identity almost seems contrived by now but i I don't know i've always just sort of accepted it (laughs) because i i I make fun of final fantasy 8's plot turns for being contrived a lot of the time i don't know if maybe i'm being unfair well i I think that might be a little unfair to final fantasy 5 i we we talked uh we talked in the uh last uh concast when we were talking specifically about final fantasy 4 the the melodrama of it and that's you know uh bart's and his father is kind of a melodramatic part of final fantasy 5 which doesn't make it bad or poorly done it just means it's melodramatic i i don't think it necessarily you can compare the you know the protagonist of final fantasy 5 to final fantasy 8 in that way and think that it's you know the same level of uh contrivance <laughs> is that the word um but yeah you you can definitely get a little bit of that and you know that kind of i think you see it as contrived largely because of what we were just saying, that he does start off as kind of a blank face, and anything could end up applied to him. And this is what does. So on the complete other end of that, yes. let's talk about Titus. <laughs> oh, boy! Because if if there's a blank uh, character, then at the other spectrum, you've got to have like the most obnoxiously outgoing kind of character, right? And I think that's where you'll find Titus, like, Especially from that start of the game, you could not have more of your typical self-interested, arrogant, like pro-jock teenager kind of character, which is cool because he's a celebrity at the start of the game, right? He's yeah. this big, well. <laughs> self-important character as far as he's aware. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a, a self-important jock with daddy issues. 
that like loses his jock status status and has to confront his daddy issues. <laughs> he, but he loses his whole world when he learns it. He's not even a real person. Quite He's literally, just... yeah. Yeah. I, you know, you know, in pre-gaming this a little bit, I guess I kind of lumped Titus in with Zidane in the kind of, you know, genuinely good person kind of group. And I still think that's true. Everything that Jav just said is also true. He certainly does start off that game incredibly obnoxious and uh, very full of himself, very self-involved. And, you know, I think a lot of people will say that he never really gets out of the obnoxious part of that <laughs> throughout the game. And uh, you have a fair argument to make on that. But, uh, you know, I do think that he really is, you know, a good person throughout. And the parts of him that change are not, you know, him realizing that there's a better life for him to live and he needs to improve himself to get to it. It's that he needs to, you know, just expand his circle a little bit and the rest of the good things, you know, are kind of already there. He's, he, he projects his own goodness to the people around him and they all make each other better, I think is what I'm trying to say. Not just that, but also when you think about how it ends, the ultimate step from like that obnoxious self-interest to like the end game is that he's not only trying to make the world better for himself anymore, he can't. He's making it better for the people that he's made these connections with because for all, as far as he's concerned, he will not be able to hold his ties. He's being removed, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Their faith will wake up and he will stop to, like, he'll stop existing. So he's doing this purely for their sake or, you know, for his love of Yuna, but. And yeah, and getting in, you know, that raises an interesting point of the end games, you know, that that's actually pretty common in a lot of the Final Fantasy games to have that level of self-sacrifice. Um, either realized or not realized. I think that Final Fantasy X actually is one of the more realized iterations of that because obviously Titus cannot come back from where he is. Um, Final does. Fantasy Tactics actually, you know, and the spoiler alert! Um, Final Fantasy Tactics actually goes even further down that road where not only does your main character have an immense self-sacrifice for which he will never ever be recognized and he will be left with the reputation in his world of being a terrible person, despite, because nobody will ever know his sacrifice. Yeah. He does that. His sister does it with him. Everybody they're friends with goes down that road with him as well. And the only person that knows the true story, somehow, I'm not exactly quite sure even now how that happened, but that one person that writes it all up um, is branded a heretic himself, and for hundreds of years, the true story doesn't come out. Well, he's he's not the only person that knows. I mean, Olan knows and Delita knows, but there's yeah, a well, there's a that's... reason that Delita didn't exactly proclaim what actually happened. He just took credit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I think that uh that the relationship between Ramza and Delita is really interesting in Final Fantasy Tactics because Ram personality wise, Ramza is pretty traditional. I mean, he's he wants to save his sister. And sort of do the right thing. He's a very heroic person in general. He also has something to prove because yep, he's got yeah. the reputation from yeah. his brother, his family legacy. Yeah, but on, I mean, on the flip side, you have my, maybe my favorite Final Fantasy NPC ever, Delita, who is keenly aware of what's going on behind the scenes, unlike Ramza, and is 
like at the same time protecting Ramza and letting Ram and helping Ramza save the day, but also sort of letting Ramza take the fall and yeah. take credit for the good that he does and does not commit. So it's I, I like in examining how they are at the end of the story. I think is really interesting. It is an, a really good payoff for a fun game. I like I I'm a big t- FF Tactics fan though. So. Yeah, I mean the the nuance of that game is just absurd, especially relative to some of the mainline Final Fantasy games. And yeah, uh, that just made me think that, oh my god, we have to hurry up and get to the Final Fantasy Tactics is awesome, Concast. <laughs> because that will be like three hours long. <laughs> I will definitely take part in that Let's. Alright, I'm gonna bring up one thing that we probably haven't talked about enough, given the name of our website, or Josh's website. Meh. <laughs> Uh, oh, I, no, no, Laz, I believe you mean my struggling website. You're struggling, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, I feel like I missed something. Yeah, I'll, I'll explain that to you later, we'll, Jan. We'll explain it after the, after the, uh, after the con- I feel bad about that, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, uh, in Final Fantasy VI, it's kind of hard to define who the main character is, because Terra seems like the central character at the beginning, but then, after the big turn, suddenly Celeste is the main character, and if you sort of uh examine like after after the whole game's over, maybe Locke was the sort of link between Terra and Celeste motivating both of them, and technically Sabin is in your party longer than any other character. So it's Final Fantasy VI. I mean, I guess you can say it has a specific main character, but I think it's basically a greater story that's more about concepts like like hope than really a, a single character's journey. It's uh it's pretty interesting in that regard and unusual from among Final Fantasy games in that it lacks that central direction and has a woman as the main character. More than one. Adam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's obviously been a, a big argument for a long time as to whether there actually is a main character in Final Fantasy VI. I've already I've always argued that yes there is and in fact I think there are two. But, uh, you know, you, you have a strong argument to make if you want to say that there are so many main characters at different points that it doesn't even matter. Uh, that's, you know, that's something that they really have only addressed in Final Fantasy VI, I think. Maybe, well, they, they sort of, it sort of goes that way in Final Fantasy XII. In yeah, Final Fantasy XII, there is uh, a annoying teenage main character, but as the story sort of goes on, uh, the two teenagers in your party become less and less relevant. <laughs> and uh, I, I think the, the rumor is Final Fantasy XII was originally going to have uh, either Ash or Bosch as the main character. Bosch is a, a soldier trying to get, trying to sort of seeking redemption, and uh, Ash is the princess trying to save her kingdom. And But apparently the game's producers insisted that there was a younger main character to appeal to Japanese audiences. Oh, so Vaughn and Pinello were were sort of added like an later. But that's I mean, I mean that's only room right. I don't have a source for that or anything, but it Final Fantasy 12 does have a sort of it's sort of more about the like the great the bigger picture than a single character, but I'm I'm not saying it's as good as 6 or uh or Ash or Bosch or Vaughn or as interesting as Terra or Celeste. But it it sort of goes that way and I think it, in 12's case, it might suffer for it because at, by the end of the game, you're thinking, wait, wait a second, what's, what's, uh, Balthier doing here? What, what, why has Pinello not said a thing in 45 hours? Uh, 
So yeah, FF12 wasn't exactly um my idea my idea of a really great Final Fantasy main character situation. So let's uh look forward a little bit. We've had I mean 13 plus of these games. If let's say that uh we don't know a ton about Final Fantasy 15, what do you sort of hope to see in the in the main characters and like the type of characters that we see in Final Fantasy 15 and beyond? Um I don't know that I'm looking for a specific type of character so much that I want something more along the lines of tactics or or six where they're just really well fleshed out and there's more importantly like really good characters for them to bounce off of because I find like the best protagonists always have a good supporting cast to make them stand out and that's where I think games like eight and you know, to a lesser extent, five didn't really stand out as much, just because there's so much that you can forget about the characters. So what I'm, what I'd really like to see coming forward is just a strong cast around the protagonist to really make them seem believable and human and rounded. Uh, also, maybe not so much spiky hair, like <laughs> a different haircut would be cool. Like, uh oh, <laughs> you're out of luck. Yeah, I already, I already saw those pictures. Uh, I mean, I'm, I can, I can give up on that one. I just really hope that the characters are strong enough to hold their own, because that's the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, these games are usually 20, 30, 40, 50 plus hours, and if, if we're gonna be ha- having a journey that lengthy, I hope it's with a group of characters that I, that I really like and get to see grow over the course of a story. Or at least ones that are appealing at the outset. Well, I mean, uh, one thing I've I've said before is I prefer bad stories with good characters yeah. than good stories with annoying characters with bad characters. So, so I, as long as you know, a future Final Fantasy game has sort of a vision for its overall plot and a cast of characters that I can at least enjoy hanging out with for forty hours, then. Yeah, that's that's my idea of a pretty good Final Fantasy game. See, if Sid was the main character of thirteen, I would have had a great game. <laughs> if Sid that was the main character in FF4, that would have been a great game. Yeah, if, you know what? There should be more Sids as main characters. I think they that's... should introduce a new school of magic called Beard Magic. <laughs> <laughs> beard bombs and afros. Beer Daga! That would be awkward if you could teach it to one of the female characters. (laughs) It could be a dwarf. It could be. You know what? That's that's another thing that you don't see a whole lot of in Final Fantasy. To like touch on some more edgy subjects. There's not a whole lot of like racial diversity, which is hard to do when you've got different creatures and fantastical things. But I think outside of 10 and, you know, we had a black guy in 7 and in 13, 13 yeah. that's about it and um, you know you had like some different monsters and stuff that have you know like in tactics when you can like hunt them and whatnot but or other in than 13 that, too oh yes but whatever 13 <laughs> just whatever but it'd be cool if they got a bit more diversity within their characters like do you, do you think it could work if final fantasy 15 or 16 does Something that Persona 4 did and have characters' inner struggles be about, you know, sexual preference and identity? Would that be, or that, would, is that, is that too edgy for a Final Fantasy game? 
I don't think Square would go anywhere near that. Yeah, I all right. I think they're ready for that level of uh, controversy, I'd say, just because they're such like a big mainstay name. Uh, sure. They kind of avoid the more uh, darker that's, aspects of that kind of thing. That's but part of cool wh- that's part do- of why I I I love Persona Four, which I also know that you enjoy, Jav. Yeah. Because it it had the balls to tackle that kind of character struggle in an RPG. That blew my mind. Especially in the character that it had. Yeah, that, that'd be... I mean, if Square's looking for something to break away from the criticisms that they've been getting lately, that it's just like, you know, repeat formula, mass-produce the same kind of game over and over again, especially with it becoming, like, more linear, like everyone's saying about 13 worst titles when you need them. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, we should... Ugh. But, you know... No one loves ragging on RPG traditionalism more than him. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that would be a good way to step away from it, just to start hitting some things that nobody would expect from them. Like, let's have a trans character. Let's bring back Rubicante and have him completely, like, like, cross-dressing. You could even say he's flaming. Uh, Oh, now I finally get it. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) That was... Like we, we get in the concast here, guys. Oh, uh, yeah. Plaz just won. Uh, or lost, depending on your viewpoint. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that actually is pretty interesting. I, I don't know, you know, I don't know what I want out of the next Final Fantasy character. I, I love, you know, Lightning, and I don't know that I should. So I'm kind of confused by that. And the more I think about it, you know, it seems like they've hit so many of these tropes by now that I'm not sure which I would prefer to see again. Uh, but with you guys having just had that conversation, I'm, it does seem interesting. It doesn't seem like having that sort of diversity is something that the Final Fantasy series would be really good at pulling off. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like that is something that one of their other intellectual properties might be able to do better. I don't know how well that would work, but it would be a really interesting experiment to see them try. And given what we know about the setting of um, Final Fantasy XV so far, it seems like if they were going to try something like that, that would be the time to do it. Do we know much about the setting of the game so not, far? Not no, much, but I, um, you know, what, what we can pick up from you know the media that's been released, it does seem to be falling into that kind of uh, future modern feel okay. that uh, Final Fantasy 13 had or Final Fantasy 10 had or most of the more recent Final Fantasies. All um, right. Final Fantasy characters. Well, right. haven't we talked about Can we all just take a moment in cuz he doesn't really count as a protagonist except for in Crisis Core. But can we all just take a moment to think of Zack? What a guy. What a guy that guy. <laughs> Hard to gold that one. He was just so Yes. And when I just cry, I just, I just cry. I really gotta finish that game at some point. <laughs> yeah. It's that's... good. The, like, the scene that goes on during the credits and what you do during the credits, I, it'll, it might bring a tear to your eye depending on your feelings about Zach. Yeah, or several. You yeah, or, us. or a great many of tears. Oh yeah. I, both eyes. I'm Spend a your night eating out of a box of ice cream. Cry. Like, that might like be how many? How, how sad is like? You can determine how sad something is by how much Ben and Jerry's you consume immediately afterwards to reach a neutral emotional state. Yeah, so the ending of Crisis Core is like two and a half uh, cartons yeah. of Ben and Jerry's, and yeah. the ending of Titanic <laughs> maybe 
maybe half a carton. You know. Oh, yeah. I, I think I can speak for Jav here and just say that the uh, end of Titanic actually makes me laugh more than anything. <laughs> At this point, I, no, I try to crack that, up laughing. Saying that makes me laugh. It's, and I know Jav feels that way. I pretty much laughed from the moment <laughs> the guy hit the propeller to the end. Credit. <laughs> that yeah. was just nonstop giggling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so we, uh, yeah, so we don't turn this into a James Cameron discussion. <laughs> uh, well, the saddest James Cameron movie, guys, is obviously True Lies, but. On topic, <laughs> let's uh, let's just do one quick around the horn, and without uh, thinking, just say your favorite Final Fantasy protagonist, and go last. Uh, Cecil. I, I don't really know. Uh, it's, Actually, just right I, off the top of your head. I like it. Yeah. And see, I've kind of spoiled it now, because I made you go first, now everybody else gets to think about it. Ah, uh, I already thought about it. I win. Ah, okay, then go. Uh, Celise, Celis, whatever. Okay. Yeah, she's she's my favorite. She's nice. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go back to the conversation we had a few minutes ago and go with Ramza. Uh, yeah. I that's it's probably cheating, and uh, I do actually would rank both of the both the ones you guys came up with very high on the list as well. Um, but you know, Ramza, given the just simple depth of that plot, um, there's so much about him, and there's so much that's admirable. Final All right, wait, wait, guidance. wait. Least favorites, come on. Least. Oh, least least favorites. Yeah. Uh, I'll go first. And go just on. one, two, three. Everyone say Squall. Just come on. Yeah, I. You know, I was looking for a reason to not go with Squall. That's why I, I was going to say Furion just to not say Squall. Be unique <laughs> in this group. Oh, I'm just so sad about everything, but I I can't say it out loud. I just dot dot dot. <laughs> and for some reason, Renoa just can't get enough of that. Um. Bam angsty dangerous kids. He wears a little bit jacket. He must be edgy. Well, I, it worked for Jav for a great many years, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay then. Um, con folks, you've now listened to this, and, uh, I'm sure that if anybody actually does listen to this all the way to the end, um, which also might be a struggle, Lass. Yeah. Then you guys will no doubt have something to say about it. So, uh, get V to the forums, or to the Facebook page, or to the Twitter account. And uh, make us feel stupid. Yeah, there's already one person I know who's not going to listen to this, but will somehow sense that we've been like talking bad about Squall and jump to defend him. I already know who it is too. Whatever. Ah. Uh, that's, that, that's all I'm going to say for the rest of the episode. Oh wait, the rest of the episode's in <laughs> now. That's episode 23 of the Concast for you. Thanks a lot for listening, as always. We're Caves of Narsh, and you can find us at cavesofnarsh.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or other social media sites as Caves of Narsh. On the way out today, you're listening to the 1UP Mushrooms performing their cover of Costa del Sol from Final Fantasy VII. If you're fortunate enough, you can find that track on the Project Majestic Mix album released in 2002. And if you do find a copy of it, you might well find yours truly's name in the liner notes. Anyway, hope you enjoyed this episode of the Concast, and we'll be back with you again soon.
Thank you.